0: Opinions expressed on ACV Media are those of the content creators and should not be assumed to reflect product endorsements or the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials or its staff.
1: Hello everybody and welcome once again to Sports Roundtable. I am Bob Branco. This is episode number
2: 310,
1: dated Monday, October 16th, 2023. Before we continue with our festivities, let me introduce our sports spelunkers. Right now, we have with us Reverend Michael Garrett.
0: Welcome, everybody, to a beautiful 70 degree Missouri City, Texas.
1: All right. And by the way, Mike, thank you for giving me the information about those radio stations. In the You're background, welcome. very softly, so that we won't be disturbing the show, we have the Texas Houston game on the radio station in Dallas. Thank you for that information,
2: Don Wardlow. Hey there, talking to you from Jersey, and after a very good podcast on Friday with some of the spelunkers as my guests. All right,
3: Luther King. Afternoon from a fifty-eight degree. Dark and rainy kind of afternoon in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh,
1: you and guys are cooling I, off
3: a
4: little. Bit. A lot. Right. Uh Peter Alchell is not here yet. Yes, he is here. Actually, he's here. All right. I'm well, here. welcome, Peter. From from drizzly and dreary Bay, Oregon. Uh, we're here, and uh, I, I, is it time to say taps for the Houston Astros? Is the question? No, not
1: yet. Not I, yet. I, too I, early. I, think, I
3: think.
4: Which is I think I'd like is to going do. seven
3: after this game after this I whoa well, I I, th- I think I think this series is going seven this is probably the best series out of all of them that are left well, well, we'll not if the Astros
4: into- continue playing as badly as they are now Well, they
3: only lo- well I'll keep in mind they only lost 2 nothing
4: so we'll be getting know,
3: into that momentarily we'll let be me getting just into
1: complete that. the festivities by expressing mm-hmm. thanks to those people who make it possible for sports roundtable to be a part of our lives we start out with Raymond gay our producer thank you for what you do Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place Chatline, thank you very much for posting our shows on greeting door number 14. We appreciate that. Our media outlets, thank you for airing us when you do, as well as Jacqueline Sylvia from JS Web Solutions for archiving our shows on my website. All you need to do to find those is go to www.brancoevents.com, narrow down until you get to Sports Roundtable Podcasts, and then Click on them to see all of our archive programs.
3: All right, Petey, make it official. May I see Jackie? See
1: this is I us. want to give a shout out to a faithful listener at this time, Rick Troiano from Florida. Thank you for listening.
3: You're awesome, Rick. Thank you. We have a
1: special guest with us right now. I would like to formally welcome him to our show. His name is Alex Friedman. He is the director of communications for the Oklahoma City Dodgers. He's done a lot of other things as well. Many of you have his bio. You know what he does. We'll be talking to Alex today. Alex, first of all, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to be on our podcast. We appreciate it.
5: It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: And you have quite the
5: radio voice. Yes, he does. And it's I about all, all I got.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the Oklahoma City Dodgers, tell us about that.
5: Sure. We're the AAA affiliate of the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I... Got to say, 2023 Pacific Coast League champions, very exciting. Uh, Won our league championship now uh, a little over two weeks ago. And uh, first time Oklahoma City had won a championship since 1996. So it was a a bit of a drought there and and just uh, awesome. And first time the Dodgers AAA team had won its league since 1994, which is pretty surprising given the uh, great state of the Dodgers player development system. So, uh, yeah, had a great season this year and... Uh, we've been affiliated with, with the Los Angeles Dodgers as their triple-A team since 2015. Uh, when I first started here in 2012, the team was known as the uh, Oklahoma City Redhawks and were affiliated with Houston. Um, but before that, long-time affiliate of the of the Texas Rangers. And so weren't they the, the, 89ers
2: the 89ers for a while?
5: Yes, they were. The 89ers from when the franchise began in 1962 through 97, uh, the the name change coincided with the move into the current ballpark.
1: So it would be safe to assume that Oklahoma did a lot better than the parent club. A lot. In in, in the postseason, yes. In the postseason, that's what I sure. mean. Because yeah. And I wanted to get into the postseason with you, if that's okay, because we of have course. one of the wildest postseasons in, I can remember in my lifetime. The upsets are just piling up. I can't believe it. No Dodgers, no Atlanta, no. Brewers. A lot of people expected Baltimore to be uh, far into the playoffs. No I, I
3: didn't though. I didn't well, have the Orioles at the top. I mean, they. If I had yeah, to say did, that,
1: you expect the Rangers to to be undefeated at this point going into the ALCS?
2: Uh, not me. But I didn't. Not uh, considering be- what the way they collapsed in the last week. They could have won that league and got a bye, but they didn't do that. And they, so they no, lost I the
3: division the last day of the year. And I'm like, wow, really?
2: For the record,
1: we have the Rangers versus the Astros and the Phillies versus the, the Diamondbacks. Diamond As of now, I'm predicting Philly to go all the way. Although if Texas continues to go crazy like they are, I might change my mind in a couple of days. What do you think about this, Alex? What, what's your scenario like?
5: Well, let me start off by giving the disclaimer. When when people ask me what do I think is happening, I say, "Hey, if I was in the prediction business, I would I would make my living doing something else." <laughs> okay, um, but but I, I will slightly, I think, uh, in terms of you described it as a lot of upsets. For me, the story of the postseason has been just not a ton of intriguing games, and that pains mm-hmm. me to say that as as a diehard baseball fan. I mean, last oh. night was good. The first game of the ALCS was good. Um, but there have been a lot of games and, and some series so far where it just honestly was not all that competitive. You look at the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. You look hey. at the Orioles and the Rangers. And all the wild card games, none of them went to a, a best of three or a, a full three games. So that's been to me the biggest thing that has stood out so far is just the fact that it's it hasn't been all too intriguing up to this point. Um, You know, you you mentioned earlier about, is it time to play taps for the Astros? I'm someone who believes that that you can't bet against a streak until it's over. So, you know, for me, the way the Astros have consistently performed in October, now the last several seasons, you can't doubt them until someone actually beats them. Um, And then, gosh, I mean, obviously the Diamondbacks were very impressive taking down the Dodgers, but, uh, there's just something special about that Phillies team, it seems, these last two years, and and a lot's been made about their home field advantage and the way they play in front of those fans in Philadelphia, and it certainly seems something to do that. I'll say this about the Phillies. I don't know if they're going to win the World Series or not. I don't know if there is a more fun team that I have seen in the last several years than the, these addition of the Phillies both this year and last year in the playoffs.
3: What do you think the biggest issue is on why – folks are complaining do you think maybe it was because the top seeds had to wait extra days or do you think it may have had something to do with the format with it being a best of three wildcard and the division series the best three out of five everybody's complaining about the division series should be best of seven i'm thinking you've had you know enough time to get your stuff set up but i can also see where they're coming from as well
5: yeah i mean if you ask any team which would you rather have that you have to play the best of three wild card series or you get the buy and play go right to the division series every single one is gonna say they get the buy, you know to be able to to rest their guys and it's been pretty foolish, I think how much has been said about the fact that those teams have lost uh, and, but there's been a lot of counterpoints that don't bother the Astros. Hasn't bothered them the last two years. Um, you know, and it's the same two teams in the National League that it happened to last year. Also, yeah. well, three um, so out. Of the I four. don't. I don't say think that. Well, right, but I'm saying just in the National League, it's been the Braves and Dodgers each year that got the bye, lost each year. So, I I don't think we've seen enough of a sample size across baseball to necessarily say it's it's a good or bad thing i don't have any problem with it um the bottom line is when it's time to play you got to be ready to play and exactly. i think something dusty baker recently said was he felt that even though the astros did get the buy. They were still playing meaningful games in terms of going for their division all the way until the final day of the regular season, as opposed to the the Orioles, Dodgers, and Braves, who had a lot of time off, basically, with their fate already sealed. How much of that goes into it, I don't know, but I think it's, it's a potential valid point. One
1: announcer claims that you're disrupting the flow of baseball. You're playing 162 games. Pretty much consecutively, oh, I get that there's an all-star break. And then all of a sudden, after the 162nd game, you're asked to sit for a week. And that may have an effect on the flow of what teams are used to.
2: Well, whoever said that has forgotten that when divisional play was new, they would wrap it up on a Sunday and then open up the next L C S on a Saturday. No, exactly. They would, that would, they be would wait a week. whole
3: week. And, and now, and now it's like we've seen some series where it ends on a Sunday year, and like for the for the uh what was it the n l and a l c s what was it both of them finished up on what a Sunday and a Monday that's still a week to set up what you need to set up, so that's not really a valid excuse,
4: Alex. I'm curious about something you since you're connected with with the Dodgers. <laughs> Every year the Dodgers seem to have the first or second best record in, in uh, during the regular season, and every year since I don't know when, they seem to underperform in the playoffs. Do you have any theories as to why that might
5: be? I think that's the $275 million, whatever their payroll is at, question. Um, and, and I think one of the theories is that they're just so good over 162 not getting high or too low, that they're able to consistently win, and sometimes that the intensity has not necessarily gone up uh, in the playoffs. I know that's something they seem to be cognizant of after last year when they lost the Padres and and felt like they didn't necessarily bring the, the energy or the juice to, to match the Padres in that series, but When you don't lead for a single inning in the series against the Diamondbacks, it's hard to see that, you know, it was, it maybe came to fruition. Now, granted, game one, uh, a very uncharacteristic by a sub 100% game by Clayton Kershaw, you get down you know, five runs before you could blink. And then you start a rookie in game two and Bobby Miller, who even though he had a, a good season, regular season, still it's his first ever playoff start. He has a shaky first inning. Um, you know, game one was all right. You don't expect anyone to overcome that, but the Bolton did a great job in game two and in game three, you know, they didn't, get down by a lot early. You know, there was that blow up inning with all the home runs against Lance Lynn, but that didn't occur until the fourth inning. So they had time to either take the lead or plenty of time to overcome manageable deficits. So, um, you know, what lessons were learned after last year, you know, after saying one thing is great, but to me for the Dodgers this year, the, the, the more stunning thing was just the offense completely going away in those three games. And, you know, Zach Allen's a good pitcher. Merrill Kelly's a good pitcher those are guys they traditionally had success against. Um, when Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman combined for one hit, an infield single over three games, you're, you're not going to win a playoff series. doesn't matter how, how long the series is. It's just you, you can't have that many games where your superstars are not producing even at a somewhat average level. Um, so, again, I don't think I've really answered your question. I don't think anyone has necessarily the answer to the question. But I will say this year, not only the offense, but the lack of starting pitching uh, I was going to be suspect going into the playoffs anyway, regardless of, of how far they advanced, and, and certainly proved to be a big factor as to why they lost.
1: What about the Braves, Alex? What do you think their problem is?
5: You know, I don't follow the Braves as closely. Um, and I think a lot of it, if you stack up the Dodgers and the Braves and, and what happened to both teams – um it was two things they didn't get consistent starting pitching you know Bingo. max friedman fried, Uh my brother is max friedman uh, max fried <laughs> it, you know was was not he hadn't pitched in the game i believe in 18 days outside of spencer strider they didn't really have a proven starter Spencer and, strider didn't
3: even look well either
5: yeah he did okay you know he went deep into the game in game one and i you know yeah giving up three solo homers isn't isn't great but for a, a braves team that was one of the best offensive teams in major league history. You'll take as eventually what the the end line was on Strider there in game four at the end of the day. Uh, But again, it was their superstars uh, unable to step up. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Didn't do much. Matt Olson didn't do much. Austin Riley played well, but that was, that was about their only consistent hitter. And it's the same thing with the Dodgers with Will Smith. Those are guys who are both really good players, but they're not the headliners of their teams And if you don't have your headliners performing at least to a somewhat good level, it's going to be hard to overcome that.
2: Now, the Dodgers never had a shot. Now, the Bravos, they absolutely had a shot. Game two, that absolutely insane double play in the ninth inning, that would have been a dagger to the heart for 99 teams in 100, and especially the ones I was employed by. You know, that that's that's just the end of them. But the Phillies came back from that. And, you know, that, that double play all by itself, that's a play. I don't think there's a way a blind person such as myself can describe just how insane that play was. Oh, it,
3: it was insane because due to the fact that the catch, the turn, and then have to turn again just to get the throw to first base. I mean, that, that was incredibly incredible because now, if, how that, if, it, that, if that... If that double play is not turned, that game completely probably flips on its head. And we're talking about the Braves done in two, not in four, like it ended up being. But I I thought they had to get game one because if they didn't get game one, I just didn't feel like the Braves are going to win the series. I mean, they won game two, but it just felt like the Phillies had the momentum, and they never gave it back.
5: Well, and I, I think Phillies manager Rob Thompson completely agrees. He said he wanted to manage that game one, just mm-hmm. kind of looking at how things laid out, like it was Game Seven, and sure. he did. And it was the weird thing where you had a day off after Game One, and it yeah. gave him a liberty to do so, to be aggressive with his bullpen and and not overextend <laughs> his starter. And you know, mm-hmm. the Phillies they didn't put up a ton of offense in that game. It was two or three runs. I can't remember exactly what but eventually shutting out a Braves team that hadn't been shut out at home in two years um so yeah uh I think obviously you weren't the only one who thought that Alex I'm
4: uh uh, there was a lot of talk and I sent uh the uh, the other spelunkers an article uh written and I I forgive me for the names but after game two a um Nick
3: uh, Castellanos
4: no no there was one that I sent more recently that had to do with um how a Braves guy in the locker room started trashing Harper. Oh,
0: for the, and Orlando. The and and, 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 and the Yeah. Guy it.
4: So there are a number of questions I have about this. Uh, Alex, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Um, yep. Okay. So a couple of questions about this one, what do you think the media's responsibility is in that situation? I mean, the, uh, it should, you know, it, it wasn't something that was said to them directly. It was sent so it was said it was observed. It wasn't said directly. So what is the, media the baseball writers association? And then the it's other WS. question is how much does trash talk affect something like this? Uh, because, you know, it sometimes it can really change a series and sometimes it can't, or maybe, maybe it's overrated. I'm just sort of curious to know your take about all that is.
5: Yeah. I think if you have a, a bunch of people who are in the room who are media members, you know, it's called Open Clubhouse and Clubhouse mm-hmm. Access at that time. Uh, <laughs> Orlando Arcia could have very well waited the, the 15 minutes until it was over to say that stuff. I mean, even though it wasn't near him, you know, you're going to say you, you're going to. Someone's going to pick up on it if you're being as demonstrative as as it was reported, it was, you um, I mean, just look at all the stuff that gets said, and there's a lot, I mean, there's a, a video clip that's gone around after the Phillies finished off that series of them kind of singing a song they created where it says, you know, expletive the Braves and always expletive the Mets.
2: They don't seem to have any
5: problem with that getting out. They they very well know that there were tons of cameras in there when it was happening, even though someone might not have gone up to and said, hey, why don't you sing that little song for me? So I yeah I the onus is all on the player. Yeah. Now I kind of come up with it with with a little bit of a different um different lens and that I think that was a very clearly defined time where tons of members of the media were in there. And you know and, and people have also referenced what happened with the Astros several years ago when their assistant general manager, you know, went up and went out of his way to to talk to some reporters that he felt had not treated them fairly with in terms of Roberto Ozuna. No one seemed to throw their arms up, you know, arms up in the air after that happened that, Oh, well, they weren't, they didn't ask him a question. He went out of his way to say something. So um, no one seemed to, to have a problem with that. Um, but I, I look at it is, you know, in my role, both as a, a broadcaster and communications director of the team, you 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 have to develop a feel when you come upon certain things in the clubhouse and and what can be shared and what can't be and and not have to worry about guys not being themselves around you but i think there's a big difference when it's just me and i'm the only one who might not be a player or coach in the clubhouse and and i feel ridiculous but the amount of work i do is kind of a, a member of the team as opposed to again a, a an objective member of the media when, again, you have designated times that, that they are in there that you just got to be smarter than that. And uh, you have to know that if, if you're going to say something like that and there's all these different people in there, it's likely going to be picked up. Now, in terms of the level of that, uh, I mean, I, 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 I think it depends on the person. Obviously, you could see that, that Bryce Harper wanted to make a point of it. But I don't think when he's standing in the batter's box that he's thinking about Orlando Arcia. Now, once he you know, crushes a home run and sees Arcia, yeah. But not when he's focused. When hitting hitting a baseball is hard enough to do, and the level that Bryce Harper does it at is insane. So yeah, I, I don't think it's it's really. Consuming your thoughts, it's obviously maybe a little bit back of the mind if, if time is right, but I, I don't think that you can say that that was really any kind of a significant reason why the, the Phillies won or the Braves lost.
2: I think it was a high school stunt for Arcea to pull. <laughs> I think it's so too. Exactly the kind of that, that, bullying that's something that you see, see if, on the high school level.
3: Yeah, that's probably like something you'd see at probably like what, a baseball tournament? You say you knock out a team or whatever, and you do something like that, yeah. That's about right. Yeah. So in general, um, I'd, like
0: to, I'd like to hold
4: on, Mike, go ahead. Are you, Michael, Michael, go ahead. Are you guys, go ahead, Mike.
0: Are you guys done with that, that subject? I want I to go uh, back. I, to the, I actually, well, go, I actually go ahead. want to follow up
4: with that question, Michael. But if you want to go ahead, go ahead.
0: Go ahead. Well, I, well, I just want to take you back to the Dodgers, Alex. You, you know, the, so, so Oklahoma won the Pacific Coast League. Uh, apparently, there's quite a bit of talent on that team. And 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 my friend Mitch, who is probably uh, joining us today, will probably, probably to Talk a little bit about about the Dodger organization. So, I've, what's your view of the talent on that team? And given there are a lot of positions that may be moved on the big club, uh, is there is there somebody, or are there a few guys? who might move up to the big club and, and uh, keep the Dodger uh, regular season uh, uh, success going?
5: I think so. And we had so many guys go back and forth all year long, just whether it was due to injuries or, or other stuff. And I think that's what made the, uh, the success of the team here in Oklahoma city surprising because it was not very stable. Um, In terms of the roster, especially on the pitching side, uh, guys going back and forth. And, you know, at at the end of the day, the most important thing is that the big league club wins. It doesn't matter if they're going to put the triple A team in a bad spot. You know, that's that's the furthest thing from their mind. They have to do whatever it is to win because that's all that matters in the big leagues. And I get it. Um, It doesn't make it any less sometimes a little bit frustrating um but that's just the reality of the situation and that's also why I felt it very strongly and I'm honestly a little bit upset that our manager Travis Barbary was was not named the league's manager of the year and we had 280 roster transactions throughout the season that many oh yeah. yeah and 27 different players wow. to play for both Oklahoma City and the Los Angeles Dodgers. uh, In addition, 11 on Major League Rehab assignment. I mean, countless times where a a pitcher had to be scratched, whether he was a starter, because they might need him in the big leagues. Didn't necessarily ever get called up. They just might have needed him. Um, Same with relievers. A lot of guys sometimes where you'd say, okay, this is the ideal spot where this guy would be in the game. But you know, they got a call before the game. Hey, you can't use him today. That seems
1: to be him. the norm in MLB these days.
5: It is, and it, it has, yes. And I would say, in my 11 years in in, in AAA, it has increased. It mm. has definitely increased, and and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Unfortunately, okay. right. um, but in terms of yeah, I mean, there are a lot of players who went up. Um, you know, I think the 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 most notable player from our team this year was was named the league's MVP, and that's Michael Bush, and. And he was a former first round pick of the Dodgers and spent most of of last season with us as well. And, and did make his major league debut this year. And uh, unfortunately just didn't really get any regular playing time when he was up there. And it's hard to do. I mean, when you're first getting up there, I mean, it's hard for any player to to only be a part-time player and be successful in, in baseball, but it's especially hard when you're in the big leagues for the first time. And he was also dealing with position change this year and, I felt that, I mean, obviously, given all the circumstances, he did an incredible job, you know, with us especially. But uh, the term that the Dodgers like to use is a runway, and I think next year he's going to get a big runway um, in terms of with the beginning of the year to to have every day at pass because he, there's, nothing, there's <laughs> there was nothing left to prove for Michael Bush a couple months ago at AAA. But uh, he kept raking down here, and it, it's just clear. There's nothing left for him to prove um as a triple A player. And the only way you're gonna find out if he can be a successful major leaguer is if you give him a bats every day. You know, they they did that with James Outman this year, who who we had with us for most of last year and got off to a great start, then had a really bad two month slump but worked his way out of it. And that's what you have to do with young players sometimes. But I think the Dodgers have also shown that they they kind of prefer to have a veteran where even though the ceiling might not be as high, you know what the floor is going to be. So that's why you saw them add players like Ahmed Rosario, like Kike Hernandez um, at the trade deadline. They also signed Jake Marisnik out of the All-Star break. He got hurt, though, and only played a handful of games. But, um, yeah, I mean, we we saw Michael Bush. We saw Johnny DeLuca go up. And, and again, when he had a chance to play and when he was healthy, he did an okay job. You know, Miguel Vargas was the one who surprised me. You know, he spent – basically all of last year with us and, and was a 300 hitter and just was the best player on the field most nights and just struggled. You know, he did get the everyday at bats this year and, and, and just struggled and, and got sent down at the all-star break and was with us for the rest of the year. And the, the biggest difference for him was, I think his consistency, you know, in 2022 with us, he was, he was, you know, a true three, 300 hitter. It felt like, like he got three hits out of every 10 at bats. There wasn't too many, you know, big swings, you know, hot and cold. This year was kind of the opposite of that. He was he was a bit of a streaky player. And, you know, Miguel's still a very young player, super talented. I, I, I have, a, I, I hope and I, I'd like to believe that he is going to figure it out to, to be an everyday player of the big leagues. And, you know, they called up a lot of different pitchers, as I mentioned, for us this year. And, and you know, there were some stumbling blocks. You know, the guy, the guy who was the most uh, consistent and impressive was Bobby Miller, who began the year hurt. And his first few starts with us – uh, and late April, early May was basically his spring training because he didn't have a spring training. Um, and so there were some inconsistencies and started to put it together. And then, you know, from late May on was in the rotation. He was one of the few very dependable uh, guys in the rotation all season long for the Los Angeles Dodgers. He, Gavin Stone went up. You know, he had some inconsistent results, but but you saw the good there. Kyle Hurt, who was the organizational minor league pitcher of the year, um, had one outing in the big leagues, but it was against the Padres. Retired all six batters he faced. First three batters he faced in his big league career were Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, and Manny Machado, and he got him to go one, two, three. Um, and he was impressive with us. And they've got a lot of talented arms. Um, and and again, they like the flexibility, like most big league clubs do these days. And I, I think that. You know, when you've got those cornerstones of guys that we've talked about before, like Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, it's a lot easier to build around guys like that. But they have to address starting pitching in the off season. No. And, <laughs> and is there going to be someone right now who's in the farm system who you can truly bet on being an every fifth day guy to give you five, six solid innings? I'm not entirely sure. Gavin Stone's probably the closest to that, um, but he's got to be able to show he can do it.
1: Alex, I am a Red Sox fan, so I have a vested interest in a couple of pitchers that we acquired in the Kike Hernandez trade. Nick Robertson and Justin Agerman, I believe his name is. Justin Hagenman. Hagenman. Hagenman, Hagenman. What (laughs) are your thoughts on both of those pitching prospects?
5: Yeah, I appreciate you asking me about those guys. Um, You know, they're both great, great people to begin with that's that's something I think the Dodgers organization really does well. I think all organizations say that they evaluate character, um, but the Dodgers really take it to another level. I feel there have been so few and far people who are just not outstanding humans who come through the organization. So first of all, you're getting to it's two great people uh, you're getting in the organization. You know Nick uh, had g- joined us at the end of last year, uh, showed some some good flashes and was with us for most of this season. And when he was with Oklahoma city tended to be the closer and was just locked down, you know, six foot six, six foot seven, mid to upper nineties fastball to go along with a, a change up and a slider. And, you know, talking with Nick, who, who took a bit of a leap last year, he's last year started double a struggle at first, but then really put it together. He said, um, That he was just, he had to start throwing the, his coaches in Tulsa told him he had to start throwing the slider and change up more. And that you couldn't just be a one-dimensional pitcher. And that's what's kind of helped him transform into the pitcher he is now. He's someone who I certainly think has the stuff. um, Doesn't walk too many people either to to be an effective reliever in the major leagues. Justin Hagenman, he's just the the best way I can describe him is the way that one of our pitching coaches is driving. He's a pitch maker. Um, And he did, he was the unsung hero of this team for the time he was with Oklahoma City. He had to, there was a one point, like in June, where he had to start games. He hadn't started on a regular basis, and I'm not talking just being like an opener. He hadn't truly started a game since college. And he eventually built up and was going, you know, four plus, five plus innings and, you know, quality. Nothing's going to blow you away from from Justin. Um, you know, the fastballs in the in the in the low 90s, you know, work off a sinker, sinker slider guy with a change up as well. Um I, I mean I think he can get big league hitters out. I don't know what the ultimate ceiling is for him. Um, but I think if that's, and I hate to use this term, if that's someone who's going to be a quote unquote throw in kind of player, it's a pretty good player to have. Okay. I, I would to the community to See
4: if there are hands raised and stuff.
1: Yes, I was just going to say. By the way, Diane, thank I, you for being our host and facilitator today. We appreciate okay, you taking you. the time to be with us. And oh, we, we have two out. raised hands. Okay, go Alrighty. ahead.
2: Joe Marks is first.
1: Yeah,
6: um, welcome back. He's happy today.
3: Uh, mate,
6: well, part partially happy. <laughs> 50 50. J E T S Jets Jets Jets. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I was thinking about yeah. the
1: Phillies more than the Eagles. Yeah. yeah that's,
6: it. <laughs> that's what we're all focusing on right now there in the go. city. Um again, we'll chalk up the Jets loss to Bad Day well, at the office. Yeah, just we didn't wake up on the right side of the bed. You mean the Eagles lost, yeah.
1: Three yeah.
3: interceptions, that's, that's very unheard he, he only had three interceptions all last year. And now he's even seven and seven.
6: Yeah, and then so for me, it's it, it's, it, it's a game that I would just rather think it was a nightmare than
3: than it just – It was a nightmare in real yeah.
6: Um but I wanted to touch on uh tonight's series with the Phillies and mm-hmm. um the Diamondbacks. The the rest of the teams that are in the in the playoffs right now. As far as the Phillies, there's all a little bit of a redemption story with all of them. And I wanted to get your guys takes on them because with Arizona, they we we got beaten up pretty well with Arizona. Uh, they gave us one of our worst blowouts in, in a long time uh recently. And so, like, that that is kind of like we want to get that monkey off our back.
3: Well, um, I, Joe, I think this is just for me. <clears throat> I think the winner of game one, kind of like what we had with Braves Phillies in the division series, mm-hmm. yes, this is a best of seven, but I think whoever can get Game one, either holding serve at home or the D-back stealing game one on the road. I think this is going to be a series of momentum. I don't know how far this series goes, but I think whoever can pick up game one has a huge leg up on the other. Philly and six. I, I I would think, I would like I said, I would think Philly and six, but I think whoever can get game one tonight... That's who I think's probably gonna go.
6: I, you know, honestly, and, and from like a lot of Phillies fans <clears throat> and, and uh, just Philadelphia sports fans in general, we don't always like being the got the favored team, like because we always like to work from underneath and and overcome things from behind. Yeah, yeah, and so a lot of people who are. Agreeing with Bob and 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 I'm one of them in Philly and six. It's like the one thing I worry about is that you do, you just hope the players don't buy that.
3: And and I'm I, I to, yeah that's yeah. the biggest thing that's concerning to me. But I'm like my my thought is always this, and I and the rest of you can jump in on this, including Alex. I I've always have thought no matter what you play, if it's a if it's a series of any kind. I've always thought whoever could get game one would most likely have a leg up. Doesn't mean they're gonna win the series, but it gives them a pretty good, you know, advantage with you know what they can do. Cause they've at worst gotten a split.
6: Well, I wanted to ask Alex one quick question, and and that was <clears throat> so Reese Hoskins isn't on the NLCS roster, but there's talks of him being on the World Series. Um now my question really is. In difference to other sports, it feels like baseball, there's like a really, like a warming up process. Like you can't just step into a batter's box and, you know, crush a home run after not having played for six months like Reese has. So my question to you is, is it a wise decision to shake anything up if the Phillies get past the Diamondbacks in the NLCS?
5: Joe, I'm going to answer your question here in a second, but I just want to illustrate something that Luther has said about winning game 1 and I'm not talking about teams that eventually win and what those percentages are but we've had 8 completed series the winner of game 1 went on to win every single series so That's what I
3: was kind of thinking.
5: Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that quick point. <clears in throat> and the and fact yes, Joe, that a lot mean. of the the fact that a lot of them were sweeps helped. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, Joe, you you bring up a good point and you don't need to look any further than Cur other Current Philly Kyle Schwarber, and how in mm. 2016, you know, they had that huge knee injury. They actually sent him to the Arizona Fall League um, to get at bats before potentially returning to the World Series, which, again, that's not typically a place you send guys on rehab assignment <laughs> to. Um, it's more of, you know, for prospects and for guys who might have missed a lot of time during the year to, to get more innings or more at bats or anything like that um I yeah I'm gonna admit I don't probably know maybe the bench options for the Phillies all that well, but if you feel that a Reese Hoskins who hasn't played all year even though he's not seen in you know live pitching in a in a formal game environment is better than that 26 guy I I don't hate it if, if there's going to be a guy who, that 26th guy, the odds of him playing to begin with are so low anyway. I, I think it just depends on on the state of the roster, and I don't think, you know, he. it's not like he's going to go in there, I certainly wouldn't think so, that he's, you know, going to take over playing at first base every game either. You know, I, I think that's a different situation if you were going to play a guy who's clearly has not been, um, you know, with the team all year long, in every single game, I, I would doubt that would be the case. I think just another weapon that they could have off the bench and, and depending on who he's going to replace, uh, you know, it, it could be pro- to prove to be beneficial. Sure.
6: Uh, and also finally um, I wanted to ask Michael who he's rooting for in the AL um, with both Texas teams, the battle of Texas. For,
0: first of all, Astros, but you know, I'll take Texas. If they, I'll still be pulling for Texas in the series. By
6: the way, got to give a shout out. A friend of mine uh, quarterbacked the Cleveland Browns to victory yesterday. P.J. Walker.
1: That's the second Mm -hmm. upset. Cleveland over the 49ers. Mm -hmm. Temple
6: Temple quarterback, Temple University alum. Uh, We had a couple classes together. So I'm I'm very proud of P.J. for doing what he did. I, I'm just glad.
3: I'm just glad he had the stature and was just stick around in the league because a lot of guys would fold up like a cheap suit, take their ball and go home. Not that kid. That's some tenacity. He, Thank you, he's Joe. He's a pretty talented <laughs>
0: guy. He played it here in the with Houston. Uh, yeah, he the, did for the, for a, a couple of coffee. But yeah, they won that that league that year. The yeah, USFL or whatever. whatever yeah, the, the,
3: the Houston, Houston was. yeah the um Houston um Gamblers in the USFL
4: if I'm right or something like that. So, Thank you, thank you, Joe, for your for your questions. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for your um, contribution, next. Diane. Who's next? Who's next,
2: uh, next we have a phone number, area code six two six ending in three eight eight. We
7: go. There's, There's, Mitch. There's Mitch.
0: Mitch. <laughs> Mitch. Good I feel afternoon. Sorry for
7: How Mitch are, are you? How are you, Well, I I, I I had to put up with both the Dodgers uh, <laughs> losing <laughs> and N U S C USC Saturday night. That was that, that was, was horrible. It's not been a <laughs> It's not been a good week, but I I actually thank you, Peter. I I w- was running errands, and I just got back, and I wasn't going to call in today, and then I saw your email, Peter and and Alex. I am a listener to your games. Uh, I listen to you on thirteen forty, the game. Same here.
5: Uh, thank you. Mitch. Thank
7: goodness for Sirius XM. Um, I don't listen every game, but I try to listen a couple of three three days a week, and you're excellent. And uh, it's it's really uh, an honor to talk to you. Uh, hopefully, one of these days, uh, you'll get out to LA and be play by play for us.
5: Well, I, I wanted those to. Kind words, thank you. Uh,
7: um, and I don't obviously because I just got in a few minutes ago, um, and so I don't know if you've talked about it. I follow the Dodgers minor league teams pretty closely. I keep rosters of of all of the Dodger minor league teams. And it looks to me, and it's been the case for the last couple, three years, um, we're pretty well set depth-wise on the infield. But the outfield, uh, I think we're a little thin. And I wanted to ask you, assuming you haven't already talked about Johnny DeLuca and Andy Pajas, both of whom, at least in the, the limited time that I've, I've heard them play, and I, I listen to some of the Tulsa games too, uh, Pahes sounds like somebody who has a future as a, as a real slugger, and the same for DeLuca, and I wanted to get your take on, uh, on those two Dodger uh, outfield prospects.
5: Well, unfortunately, I can't give you a huge take on, on Andy Pajas because it was so unfortunate what happened. You know, he get, yeah. gets off to a great start, and Tulsa, and then in his first game with us, swings got hurt. and misses in a pitch and, and tore a labrum in his shoulder, and he was done mm-hmm. for the year, you know, in mid-May. So that was uh, that was really unfortunate. Um, but, you know, he's on the 40-man roster. He'll still be on the 40-man yep. roster. And, and talking with folks in the organization, they feel that, um, had he not gotten hurt, he probably would have made his big league debut at some point this season. Um, so I, I can't tell you a whole lot about him because I've literally seen him for one game and, and three at-bats. But, yeah, Johnny Deluca's uh, an interesting guy. You know, he is super athletic. I mean, a guy who also, you know, growing up, in addition to being a great baseball player, was a big track star, uh, track and field guy up there in uh, Southern California and just really athletic He's only about five foot ten, but you know can jump out of the building. Um, Good runner. the 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 one kind of knock about him that I've heard is in the outfield that the routes aren't always the most efficient, but he can make (laughs) up for it with his speed. And athleticism to to ultimately make the play, and if nothing else, always have a special place in my heart for Johnny because he caught the final out of our of our championship there uh, just a few weeks ago. But yeah, to, very tool tooled up, um, and it's again a guy that I, I think did when he was up with the team wasn't getting regular bats, and even when he was, he was producing at a fairly good level, and and you really tro- will, excuse me won't truly know what you have until. You know those young guys get those regular a bs but yeah johnny's uh Johnny's a tooled up player great kid um, and i think he's he certainly has a chance to 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 carve himself a regular role in the major leagues
7: and if I can ask you about two other guys there's an old expression i've been a dodger fan uh, as as Don found out when I was on his podcast uh, I've been a dodger fan since they came to l a in fifty eight um, there's an old expression about a a player being a four a player he's he's better than triple a but he's not quite good enough for the majors and um miguel rojas had half a season with the dodgers and then they sent him down and they didn't call him up when the rosters expanded to 28 i'm wondering what your what your thoughts are on rojas and michael bush who um, really didn't have much time with the Dodgers at all, considering all the injuries. Any any thoughts on those two fellows?
5: Yeah, we we had, actually did talk about those guys, I believe, before before oh. you joined us. Um, mm-hmm. I believe well, also just to clarify, books. Miguel Vargas. Uh, 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 not Miguel uh, Miguel Vargas, Vargas, Rojas. Yeah,
7: um, you, Mitch. <laughs> it's been a long day.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah Vargas. Miguel Vargas. Yeah, just to kind of quickly summarize, you know, Vargas yeah. was a bit of a head scratcher this year because he was so good with us last year and um, just a pure hitter. And you know, they gave him they gave him that runway, as they like to say, uh, to be an everyday player, and it just didn't click. Whether it had to do with the early hand injuries and maybe uh, getting out of his mechanics, and then getting you know, to a mental thing. And I remember. One of the things I asked our manager Travis Barbary when when he first when Vargas first came back was what's kind of the message to him. He says just have fun, just go out there and start having fun and playing your game again. and And I think we saw that from him at times, but he was a lot more inconsistent than he was uh, last year. Um, I you know I in terms of Michael Bush, what we talked about earlier is I, I I'd like to think that he's gonna really have an inside track on an everyday job next year in spring training and and unless it's a complete flop he's probably going to be able to get those that runway next year and and have a chance to be an everyday player Uh, but something else we also talked about that it is clear that uh, whether it's Dave Roberts whether it's the front office that they prefer to have veterans who might not have as high of a ceiling but you know what the floor is going to be so that was kind of the why you get the amen rosarios the the colton longs who took that roster spot that you alluded to um, guys like that
7: well colton long has been a dodger killer for years so i was i was real happy when the dodgers picked him up because at least he couldn't hurt us um you know he killed us against st louis a couple of different seasons so Mm -hmm. um and and you know it'll be interesting to see if if uh, if the Dodgers, uh, what the status of Max Muncy is? I think, I think his contract is up this year, as as some of these guys know, and and uh, particularly uh, uh, Michael, because I have vented to him more than more than once. <clears throat> I am I, Max Muncy and Chris Taylor drive me crazy because I'm old school. Um, swinging for the fences is fine, but as we saw in the uh, in the playoffs. When you expand the strike zone, when you start uh, thinking that you have to hit a five-run home run, uh, things don't usually work out. And Chris Taylor and Max Muncy, for all of their uh, their home run power and and uh, all of that, and Taylor's uh, uh, versatility playing ev- everywhere on the field, um, I would I really would prefer to have guys. Who, who can hit for average, who can hit in the clutch, and uh, uh, maybe hit a few less home runs. Uh, but, but know that you've got to, when they come to the plate and there are run, runners in scoring position position that they're, uh, uh, that they're not going to swing uh, for the fences and that they might drive in a run or two and keep the, as Roberts talks about, keep the line moving.
5: Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm not sure what what uh, what the question is there, but but I know Muncie. it well, was well, more more comment. That's why okay. you we're talking about Bush because I could see Bush as the
7: as at least hopefully getting a shot at third base next year.
5: Yeah, I, I know Muncie. It's either a team option or a mutual option. It's not a strict player option, but but whatever it is, it's it's relative. It's it's pretty. Affordable, And I, I'd be surprised if it, if it doesn't get picked up.
7: Well, <laughs> and, um, then, and then, then Michael will get calls from me about, we struck out 12 <laughs> times in the game and between Taylor and Muncie, they struck out half of those 12 have, times. Oh. Oh, so, oh.
4: For me, this, this raised, there there's an interesting piece in the New York times today about this whole thing about comparing this year's baseball season with last year's and they, there were sort of two goals of of uh, you know going into, into this series. One was to shorten the games, right, and that really happened, and it seemed to be a real success. Perfect. The other thing was was to encourage, uh, you know, bat hitting ball and running and more excitement in the games, and that was not solved. You know, there are uh, lots and lots and lots of strikeouts, and the the question that the article raised was, what changes any should should be made to to you know what rule changes or or changes should be made to to deal with these um strikeout home run kind of things that you Mitch was talking about I don't, uh, I, don't I have a through. thought I have a thought Peter stop telling the batter to swing for everything and tell the pitcher <laughs> not to throw hard when he can
3: not Well not well, well but, but here's, the deal
4: the, here's the deal with the pitcher Bob what one of the things that the oracle talked about was that um they're they're bringing in more and more elite pitchers, and that's going to increase the level of strikeouts because pitchers are throwing hard, and you know batters are, are going to naturally strike out more often. Yeah. So you know that's that's just part of the strategy. And you know, we, I don't know whether what, what what the you know the 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 goal of managers and general managers are to win the game. And if they if the stats and the seem to think that strikeouts are worth the trade off with home runs, then that's what they're going to do. I don't know in what. In what the, the there were a lot of players.
0: In, but there were a lot of strikeouts, but in the also there were a lot of double-digit runs scored in a yeah, lot. exactly. Yeah. Well, well, remember that game was like twenty-four. Somebody scored twenty-four runs. I think that was think like like the Angels, two, right? Was it? Yeah, was that the yeah. Angels.
7: Yeah, it was like twenty-four-two. Yes. It was a ridiculous. I, I have a three-word answer, Bob, and I think you'll agree with me. Down with analytics.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Amen,
1: brother. Amen. <laughs> hey, yeah, 10 minutes, Bob. Thank you, Alex. Diane. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. That's a great way it. for you to close out, Mitch. Oh, yeah,
7: you went you. out with a
4: bang that time. <laughs> and and yes, Alex, sir, I'll man. be
7: listening. I'll be listening to you next year, sir.
4: All right, thank you, Mitch. Thanks Mitch. I'm sorry for that that the Trojan sprung a leak, Mitch, you know. Yeah, really so a big one. <laughs> Diane. <laughs> Wait, before yes. I do that, Alex, I'm curious about your reaction to the conversation about analytics and and strikeouts and all that.
5: Yeah, i that's a question that I've pondered for a long time, is, is how can we reduce strikeouts and get more balls in play? And and I think, first, before I forget to kind of comment on the higher scoring games, it's a combination of a few things, because we had the pitch clock in place last year. We mm-hmm. learned a couple of things, one of which is that there are more big innings now. Because you can't slow the game down. Um, momentum really favors a uh, team that, you know, if they're going in and a pitcher's, you know, struggling, you can't take that breath that, that you normally would. Um, so I think, yes, that's part of the reason there's a higher scoring games, some more balls that have been, again, put in play that are turned into hits. I know that was a, a goal of, of Major League Baseball, and it, it certainly certainly helped um you know with those shift restrictions and um for a long time i said look i just want to see it uh you know when we did have the shift what does it look like and it was fine you know i didn't really have a strong feeling on it one way or the other they're definitely i think for left-handed hitters especially if there was a runner at first base um, so many more balls getting through because with the first baseman holding the runner on that normally would have been routine ground balls in the past. So I think that's positive. Um, Again, pondering, I thought before, well, what do you do to reduce strikeouts? Just one of my thoughts in the past has been, well, you make the strike zone bigger to force guys to swing more, but I don't think that's going to fix. After I thought about it more, I don't think that fixes it because the bottom line is pitchers are, I'm not going to say they're the best overall that they've ever been, their stuff is the best it has ever been. They about grow batters, harder than they ever have. about batters being The breaking that, That's what I was kind think of thinking myself. The, you know, everything has more movement than it has been because um, we have the technology that can show us how to maximize basically the laws of physics and, and make pitches more effective, whether it's different grips, whether it's how you mold the scenes. Um, in terms of analytics look i am someone who feels that it definitely has a place in the game i but it's a tool it's not it shouldn't be the rule it's a tool not the rule um and that that it is valuable and i see it firsthand i see what kind of information is given to these guys you know every day and and all that stuff um and and you see how guys have been able to prove themselves being by able to to look at numbers but um, I, I don't think you can rely on it. I think there's a place for, for the traditional stuff and, and the analytics as well. I think batters uh, I mean, should I mean, learn to be more patient. That'll help.
3: Yeah, that, that's what I was kind of thinking But myself. then that like slows weird. the
5: game down. If you're just going to have more walks, what does that do ultimately? But, what what, do what is the compromise then?
1: How do you keep the game short without striking guys out? I,
5: That's again. I don't. I don't
4: have that answer. I wish I did. (laughs) (laughs) But but, you know, it it is an interesting comment, and I don't know uh, what what the connection is.
3: Do we we have one more hand that we can get in quickly before time runs out?
4: Fair enough, Uh, Diane. Do we have any? We have no more raised hands. Oh, okay. Go ahead, continue, then, guys. Okay, but so I was the, was the, the the comment I'm making is what you know the analytics seem to be saying, and again, we we can argue about the value of analytics. That, that we did just the, the, get a raised
2: hand. Okay, oh,
4: let, let's let's take go it. Ahead. I have a couple Laura, minutes
1: because I know Brad about, needs to leave. We got a couple got minutes. minutes.
2: Okay, um, how
1: how what do you guys think about the Diamondbacks? Do you think they need to do better, or
2: do you think they, uh, you know?
3: I think I they're think, fine. Like I said, I think the Diamondbacks, depending on well this series especially, whoever gets Game One between D-backs and Phillies. If the Mm D-backs can get a win on the road, oh, they're in pretty good shape. If they don't, I think they can still get a split and still go back home.
5: But I think
3: game one is going to be very, very important for whoever for the national league championship series.
5: They just, in, in my view, they can't mm-hmm. afford to lose the games that are started by gallon and Kelly. Exactly. Cause they don't have much. I mean, Brandon fought had a nice outing against the Dodgers, but he's been inconsistent. It in was big mm-hmm. league time. I know he's a highly touted guy. I've only seen it. I only saw him once, you know, in person and triple a, but it's still an unproven commodity and it's, they don't have that, great bullpen, I think, like the Phillies do, where if your starter can only get you three or four, that you can rely on it for the rest of the game to keep the opponent where they're at. So I think it's it's very important for Gallon and I think you need
2: to wrap up. um,
3: Before we wrap up, can can Davies be that third guy for the D-bats? Because, I mean, after Gottlieb, Gallon, and they got Zach Davies in an offseason deal, is this an important start if he's pitching game three in this series where he uh, has to give you um, five.
1: Our, our time is up, Luther. We have to wrap it up. All right, going back you. forever. I'm sorry. Uh, Alex, <laughs> thank you very much thanks, for Alex. being on the program today. You're very informative. Keep up the good work in radio. And we'd love to have you back at some point. We can talk about that. Yeah, Peter, absolutely. Thank you. Peter, Michael, Don, Luther, thanks for what you do are always doing for us today as well. Diane, thanks for being our host. Brad, everybody else, take care. Go safe, everybody. With God's abundant blessings, have a wonderful week. Talk to you soon.